Here's what I'd like all of you to do right now uh, as we get started. I'd like you to just locate uh, the pockets that you have on your person, pockets on your, you know, your pants or pockets on your shirt or, you know, whatever you happen to be wearing. How many, how many of you have discovered that you have some pockets this, this weekend, at 95th as well? Okay, great. Uh, most of you do, all right? How many of you have at least two pockets? Let me see your hands, 95th, all right? So you, a lot of us have come with, with several pockets on us, and you're already thinking to yourself, what does that have to do with the weekend series? Are we like into an apparel thing now, all right? Uh, no, that's not quite where I'm going. I want to ask you a strange question now that you are thinking about your pockets. And that question is, which pocket are you living out of? Which pocket are you living out of? Think about it. If you have two pockets, think about at least the two of them, all right, for a moment. And visualize them or even touch them if they're on your, you know, your pants or wherever. And, and just, just kind of ask yourself, which pocket am I living my life out of? There was a Jewish theologian and mystic um, with a, a last name of Buber. Martin Buber was his name. And he said that we have a tendency to live our, our spiritual nature out of one or two pockets. He says some of us live our life out of a pocket of virtues, values, morals, success, and achievement. Think about somebody like a George Washington, for instance. You know, we think about him as the founding father of our nation, you know, our first president, and all the stories that go with him, a virtuous man, a man with morals and values, a man, you know, who achieved so much and had success, a man of a strong character. So are you living out of that pocket when you think about your life this weekend? Are you living out of the pocket of values and character and morals and achievement and success. Or, Buber says, we can live our lives out of a different pocket. A pocket of immorality, of sinfulness. A pocket of selfishness. A pocket of greed. Think about somebody like Adolf Hitler, quite the opposite of George Washington. Hitler did not live his life out of what we consider to be morals and values and virtues and virtues and character. No, he had achievement and success to some degree. It was, it was all evil. It was all very wrong. And so we live our life out of one of those two pockets. Now, let me ask you again, out of which pocket are you living your life? I think you're going to be gobsmacked when you find out what Jesus has to say about those pockets. So, take your Bibles and open up with me to the Gospel of Luke. And you're going to discover two individuals in Luke chapter 18. One of them appears to live his life out of the pocket of virtue and morals and character and achievement and success. But Jesus is basically going to take this guy and say that he's a really bad example for us to follow. 
And then you're going to meet another guy who lives with his life out of the pocket of selfishness and greed and sinfulness. And Jesus is, in essence, going to exalt this guy. It doesn't make much sense. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. And I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God, Those who exalt themselves be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Oy vey, I tell you something. On the way to the temple today, I almost touched the sinner. Can you imagine that? If I had touched the sinner, I would have been unclean. I couldn't come and offer my prayers to the temple. But here I am, and I'm glad all those sinners are keeping their distance. So the guy like me can come close to the temple and offer my prayers to God. Dear God, this is your very humble servant, Yitzhak, coming to you in prayer today. God, I want you to know I almost was defiled by some sinners, but by your grace I was able to make it through, and here I am. I thank you, God, that I am not like them. I'm not a sinner like them. No, in fact, God, you know I tithe. I tithe a lot to you. I know I'm supposed to tithe on the wine and the grain and the oil, but God, I tithe on more than that. If somebody gives me something, I don't know if they tithe on it or not. I tithe on it. And God, I want you to know that I fast. Yeah. More than just once a year as your word prescribes on the Day of Atonement. No, I fast three times a week. You probably hear my stomach growling sometimes. And God, you know, I don't want to lust after women. So anytime I see a beautiful woman coming, I turn my head and hit it against the wall. You probably see the bruises. I don't want to be caught in adultery. God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy back there, tax collector, the worst of the worst. No, God, I thank you that I, a humble servant, Yitzhak, I'm a righteous man. Pharisees. They were the great pretenders. They were the people that when you looked at them, you thought to yourself, oh man, wow, he is a saint. He's holy. I wish that I could be like that man. I wish I could live like him. I'll never, never achieve the level of spirituality that he is at. And yet Jesus said, most of them, not all of them, but most of them are pretenders. They are whitewashed tombs and inside are dead, dry bones. 
Which when Jesus told them that didn't always make them real happy. What, what made the Pharisees such prideful, sinful pretenders? Such hypocrites. Well, first of all, it starts with really bad theology. See, in, in their minds, they accepted the fact that all of us are, are born sinful. I mean, I was born sinful. I was conceived in sin, like David said. How many of you this weekend at either campus were born sinful and know that? Okay. And if you didn't raise your hand, it's because you can't hear right now. Because every one of us says, we have all sinned and what? Fallen short of God's glory. Every one of us is a sinner. The question becomes, how are we going to deal with our sinfulness? And that's where the Pharisees had really, really bad theology. I want you to think about this ladder that I have here on the stage. And I want you to imagine that I'm in a pit. And that pit is sin. Okay? And the question becomes, how do I get out of the pit? Well, for a Pharisee, the way out of the pit was through acts of self-righteousness. In other words, yeah, I'm born in this pit. I'm born a sinner. God is up there. And I'm going to have to climb my way out. So for them... Getting out of the pit started by keeping the law of God. And so they became professional law keepers. In fact, um, they sometimes weren't quite sure how to define the law. So they would sit down and have arguments. And then they would write out all kinds of laws to support the law. For instance, when God says, don't work on the Sabbath, well, what does that mean? And they would come up with rules about how far you could walk and what you could do and couldn't do. And then it went from not just trying to keep the law, but then trying to keep all these traditions. So they spent their whole life trying to climb out the pit and impress God and show God that they were good enough because of how hard they tried to honor his law. We do the same thing. Even as followers of Christ, we fall into the same track. It is, it's in our nature. I've talked about this before in our summer series that we're in. It's in our nature to want to wanna earn our way to heaven because it's just part of how we do life in America. It's about pulling your own bootstraps, right? You know, and pulling your boots on and, you know, achieving in life. I hear a lot of people today talk about, you know, what's wrong with our culture and the entitlement mentality. And when I was a kid, you know, I had to work hard for every dime I got. And I respect that and believe that and honor that. But when you apply that toward a relationship toward God, it's really bad theology. When my relationship to God becomes about what I do do, and what I don't do. And that's how I feel whether I'm good enough for God or not. I go to church regularly. I give my money regularly. I help the poor regularly. I serve regularly. I help my neighbors regularly. I, I say prescribe prayers on a regular basis. I do certain bows. 
I read certain expressions back to God. I sing certain songs or I, I certain, sing a certain variety or style of songs. That's what makes me righteous. We're just like the Pharisees when we start to think that way. And that always then leads into comparativeness. We start comparing ourselves to others because you've got to have a way to measure whether you're good enough. And so what I do is I look down the ladder and I see the next guy. And what the Pharisees in essence did is they kind of stepped on the next guy. And they worked hard at keeping the next guy down the ladder. I mean, that would be really mean, wouldn't it? If you, if you had somebody on a ladder, you're climbing up the ladder and they're trying to get up there and they got their hands on the next rung and you go like that. That's not very nice, is it? Or you stick your, your foot on their head and kind of shove them down a little bit further. That's what the Pharisees, in essence, were doing. They did that in order to exalt themselves. They had to do that in order to be better than everyone else. We have a tendency to do the same thing, I'm sorry to say. We have a tendency to step on the people that we perceive are down a few rungs on the ladder from us. We do it by way of judging them, by gossiping about them, by talking about what they don't do right, by talking about sins that we're aware of in their life or things they've done in the past that we haven't done. And then it makes us feel what? Makes us feel better about ourselves. And it leads to conceit and pride. And the Pharisees were full of conceit and pride. I heard a story about a lady that came to talk to her pastor and she said to her pastor pastor i have a besetting sin in my life every time i come to church i think to myself i am the prettiest woman in the church pastor can you help me with this besetting sin and he looked at her and he said oh mary that was her name that's not a sin. It's just a horrible mistake. <laughs> My friend and mentor, Hen Robinson, says that conceit is like acne. It's disturbing, but not fatal. And a lot of us have a disturbing amount of conceit in our lives that we mask over with a false sense of humility but if the truth were known, our hearts and our minds were exposed, we would, we would be shocked about what we would discover about ourselves and about each other. And so that's why Jesus took the Pharisees to task. And I sometimes fear and wonder what would happen if Jesus showed up. In fact, a few hours ago, I was uh, in just spending a little bit of time in prayer, and I thought, God, what would happen if you showed up to most churches in America today? I wonder how we would respond to you and how you would respond to us. I wonder how many of us you would point out, including me, and say, you're a Pharisee. You're a pretender. It looks like you're living out of this pocket virtues, values, achievements, success, and character. But the reality is it's all self-righteousness. It's all about you and what you've achieved and what you've done. And then he talks about the tax collector. And this really didn't go over well to his audience that was listening. 
especially if any of them were Pharisees. Tax collectors were despised in those days, and for good reason. They were crooks. They were selfish. They were greedy. What they did, and especially if you're a Jewish tax collector, it's like you're a traitor, you're working for the Romans, you have to collect a certain percentage of tax from the people. Let's use the illustration this way. I've said this before. Uh, you know our trollways, I mean our tollways that we have here in the great state of Illinois, all right? It would be like you driving up the tollway, and the toll is a dollar. The government says to the, the person at the toll booth, collect a dollar. But that person at the toll booth has the authority. They can, if they want, charge you a dollar fifty. And they keep the fifty cents and give the government the dollar. And they know it, and you know it, and there's nothing you can do about it. How would you feel about them? Oh, my goodness. How would you feel about them? How many of you would say, praise God, would you like $2? Yeah. You'd be angry, wouldn't you? How many of you would be angry? Let me see your hands. Yes, we'd be livid about that. Especially the price of gas, the economy. I'm giving you the buck that I don't even want to give. And then I got to give you 50 cents. And you're taking it. You're robbing me. That's what they were doing to these people. So you can imagine how angry and how indignant the people were about it. In fact, it is said that it was so rare to find an honest tax collector who only collected what you actually owed that Tacitus, the Roman historian, said he visited a village once where a statue had been erected in honor of a tax collector in that village who was an honest man. It was so rare and so unheard of. And yet, Jesus has some pretty good things to say about this tax collector, who, by the way, is not at the front of the crowd with his prayer, but is as far back as you can get from, from the temple, which is the symbol of God, and he is beating his breast, beating hard. And he is, he's hanging his head down. He can't even look up. Why is he beating his breast? Look at Matthew chapter uh, 15 for a moment. Verse 19. I think it may give us a hint as to why he is beating his breast. In Matthew chapter 15 verse 19. Jesus is speaking. And he says. For from the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. So this guy's back here and he's beating his chest. It's like he's beating his heart because he knows something's wrong inside of him. Something's really wrong inside of him. And, and it's this thing inside of him. It's his wicked heart that's giving birth to this, this sin in his life. He can't even look up. What's interesting is the Pharisees looking up. God, it's me. I'm here. Your favorite Pharisee. Let me tell you about all my achievements. You must be proud of me compared to that guy. This guy's back here beating his chest. He can't even look up. What's the difference between these two men? Here's the difference. The Pharisee compares himself to everybody else and feels righteous. The tax collector compares himself to God, and he cannot even lift his head. 
And that's the only person, the only being I need to compare myself to is God. And when I do that, I retreat. And when I do that, I can't lift my head. And when I do that, I come to terms with how sinful a human being I really am. And God says it is the person who understands this other pocket, that understands their sinfulness, that understands how broken, how messed up, how unqualified they are, how unrighteous they are. It's that person who has a chance. Because it causes them to beat their breasts and cry out for God to do something for them they cannot do for themselves. And God did. He sent his son. So that in our brokenness, in our crying out to God, we could be forgiven and receive his righteousness, which has nothing to do with our own. H.G. Wells wasn't a Christian as far as I know, but among other things, he told some interesting stories. And he told a story once about a preacher who always had advice, a pastor who always had advice for his congregation when they would come to him with a problem. He would say something to them like this. He would say, well, dear, you need to take that, or sir, you need to take that to God in prayer and let God speak to your heart. But he was a hypocrite because he rarely ever talked to God himself. He just told everybody else to do it. His life was neatly packaged and bundled. Everything was going well. He didn't feel like he had a need to spend any time before God. And then one day his life came unraveled. And he decided maybe he ought to take his own advice. It was a Saturday night and he went to the church, which was closed up. They didn't have a Saturday night service. And he went there into the sanctuary and up to the altar and he knelt down and he prayed And he cried out and he said, God, hear me. God, help me. And then all of a sudden, there was this crisp, business-like voice that said, well, what is it? The next morning, when his congregation showed up for church, there was their minister sprawled out before the altar on his face dead. H.G. Wells' point was this. There are a lot of people who like to talk about God, but if they ever really talked to God and he spoke back to them, it would scare them to death. (laughs) And yet that's the place we're supposed to live our lives. In front of the altar, in the presence of God, speaking to him, And listening to him speak back to us. Aware of our frailties, aware of our our weaknesses, aware of our wickedness and crying out to him and receiving his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. Christianity is not talking about God. Christianity is living in the presence of God and in the fear and humility that that brings into our lives. This weekend, where 
are you living your life? Where are you spending your time? Out of which pocket are you operating right now? Let's pray. Father, just as we can get so preoccupied with life that we forget about Jesus and his grace and his goodness. We can get so used to our faith that we forget, oh God, that we are unworthy. That our faith is not a beauty contest. It's not a talent contest. You don't choose us because we look good enough or act good enough. God, our faith is about people who are selfish, who are sinful, who are broken, who beat their chest and cry out, God, have mercy on me. And then they hear your voice of mercy and forgiveness. And they feel your hands grabbing hold of their sides and picking them up. Thank you this weekend, just a few hours ago, God, for speaking to my heart through this message and reminding me I don't bring anything to the Compass Church except the grace and the mercy and the good news of Jesus Christ. My righteousness is as filthy rags. It's about your righteousness. It's about your grace. And that's just such a great place to be this weekend, God. Not to have to try to impress you. Not to have to try to make all kinds of achievements, success to get notice from you. But just to be us. Humble and broken. Arms open wide. Receiving what we can never earn or deserve. May we live out of such humility, O oh God. May we live out of such brokenness that there is a peace that overcomes us, flows through us. Father, when we get the right picture of who you are and who we are not and what you have done for us, it causes us, Lord, to move from beating our chest to raising our hands and praising and worshiping you and joining the angels of heaven with a thousand tongues proclaiming our praise and our love for you. And that's how we want to close this evening, oh God with a thousand tongues thanking you for what you've done in our lives. So would you all stand with me and let's sing our hearts out to God.